Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everyone. This is Carmen Nazario. Josh is out today, so I will be uh, interviewing today solo. And today we have uh, Donald College. He is the founder of Elemental Path, and he is an ex-Marine. Welcome, Donald. It's great to have you on our show today. How are you today? Great. Calling in from New York, New York, and thanks for having me. Wonderful, New York, New York. I love it. Um, I I want to. I usually like to start the show out by finding out where you're from and and asking you to give us a little background on you know where you grew up in. And so, uh, yeah, tell us. Uh, are you originally from New York? From New York, however, um, not originally from New York, New York. So I, I grew up in a small town all the way upstate. Uh, it's called Plattsburgh, New York. Um, it, it's a it's a beautiful town. Um, it's in the Adirondacks. It's on Lake Champlain, and it was a it was a really amazing place to grow up. But it's extremely different uh, than New York City. Definitely, I I would imagine I've been to upstate New York, and it's just so lovely, particularly at this time of the year. So, um, so then, um, what um, what led you to go into the uh, military? Did you have um, family members that served, or what? Give us the story of your growing up and and the path you took that led you into the military. Um, sort of a, a crazy journey, as I'm sure um, most are um, that go into the, the military that are in the military. When I was a kid, I was a, a huge Yankee fan. And one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up was uh, a Yankee. Um, I'm still a huge Yankee fan. Um, the other sort of uh, option, so it was either become a Yankee or the other thing I really wanted to do was uh, become a, a Navy SEAL. Um, so from, from sort of a really early age, I think I had an appreciation for the military. Um, and it was definitely something that was always sort of on the radar. Um, and then, you know, sort of, uh, going through middle school and high school, that, that idea of going into the military, um, sort of faded away. And then as I'm sure a lot of, uh, more recent military members were, I was, uh, impacted pretty heavily by 9-11. And just watching that happen uh, in high school when it happened, you know, it really sort of, sort of shook me for a, a number of reasons. And then, uh, you know, once I, le- once I left high school and went into my first year of college, um, I struck up a conversation with a, a Marine Corps recruiter. And I just really uh, enjoyed, you know, the conversations we had and, and sort of everything about the Marine Corps. You know, I was an athlete, I was competitive, um, athletic, and, and those, you know, a lot of the core values of the, of the Marine Corps um, struck and I sort of uh, 
you know, within a couple of weeks of having that conversation, decided to leave for Marine Corps boot camp. Um, it wasn't a planned out thing. It really happened actually really quickly from the, from the time I started having thoughts of actually going into the Marine Corps to when it happened. I think within a couple of weeks, I was standing on the yellow footprints on, on Paris Island. Oh, wow. And so uh, what happened after that? You went in, went to, uh, I can't remember if in the Marines it's a boot camp uh, or, I mean, in the Army it was basic training for me. So uh, so where did you go? I joined the Marine Corps, and I was excited about leaving and going to it and my family was a little my family and my girlfriend at the time were sort of shocked especially how quickly it happened and you know what i recall is arriving to paris island uh on the bus with all these other um young people who are going into the military and i, and I didn't really realize uh how tough it would be in those previous couple of weeks it wasn't until the the marine kit marine corps uh, drone instructors ran onto that bus and started screaming that I had that eureka aha moment like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now I remember <laughs> how what, hard it is. Yep. Yeah, you yep, made this the... is what I got myself into. Yeah. How old were you? 20, maybe 21. <laughs> Perhaps I was a little bit younger. Um, it was right around that area. I was probably between 19 and 21. Um, um. And, yeah, I got shocked. You know, right away. And of course, I, I, I heard about Marine Corps Boot Camp, and, I, and I'd watched the movies, and, and, I, and I knew about it, but I didn't necessarily, necessarily prepare myself for it. I didn't necessarily think that it would be um, hard for me to tackle or accomplish. And then, uh, yep, that was, when, those, when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I got myself into. So it, it was just as they portray it in, in the movies for you. Similarities and, and, of course, lots of differences. Um, and uh, yeah, it was hard, um, and it was uh, one of those one of those challenges that I was that you know now I'm very proud of. And when when I was there, it was like, man, sometimes this really really sucks. Um, but it it was you know looking back, it was an amazing experience. Um, and, and in fact, I just recently uh, sat on a panel and uh, sat on the panel with a guy that I hadn't seen since boot camp graduation. He was in the same uh, platoon as I was. And we, we instantly looked at each other like, do we know each other? And it, it turns out the last time we had seen each other was at Marine Corps boot camp. Oh, wow. That's, that's really interesting. So what did you train for in the Marines? So uh, I joined the Marine Corps Reserve, and I was uh, an infantryman. And... Um, really throughout my entire, I think it was nine and a half year Marine Corps um, career, um, I was uh, in 0311 Infantry uh, enlisted. And uh, I got lucky in that I was always that person within our platoon and company that got to do a lot of the cool stuff. Um, the leadership within our company you know, trusted me and I was a go-getter, I was a hard charger, and uh, I got to do all sorts of really awesome training that wasn't available to most of the others within our uh, company. Um, and so for my Iraq deployment, um, I was in 0311, um, and I got be billeted 
um, in a new role that they were creating uh, company level intelligence. So um, it wasn't, you know, not a huge amount of intelligence training, but I got to do some really cool stuff in terms of um, flying drones and using some really cool new technology, stuff that uh, may not have been available to me or to use to experience um, if I hadn't taken on those additional responsibilities. So did you volunteer for those responsibilities? Extra bull. Um, you know, I definitely wanted to take advantage of trainings and uh, learn, learn new stuff that were available to me. Sometimes it was volunteering and other times it was being voluntold. Um, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant Coolidge, um, we have this that battalion saying that we need to send, you know, one or two Marines to, to and you're it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, volunteering really um, sort of promotes you to the next level without you realizing it. So, um, so you were in the reserves. Then does that mean you were also doing, uh, going to college full time? So, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, it was a little bit of a journey and that's absolutely true. Um, probably a very atypical experience to, for a lot, to a lot of, uh, those others who may have been active duty or, uh, you know, even reserve So I, I went to my first year of college and then that summer between my freshman and, and sophomore year, I decided to join the Marine Corps. So I spent about a year, um, in Marine Corps boot camp and, uh, my, uh, infantry, uh, the infantry training school that then went back, uh, a year to college. And then after that year was up, I spent the next, uh, year and a half, well, the next, six months training for an Iraq deployment and then uh, serving in Iraq. Came back for about uh, two years of undergrad and graduated. And uh, and then it seemed like every summer after that, I was somewhere in Africa doing some uh, other things that were not full deployments. Okay. So what did you study in college? I studied sociology and criminal justice and I had a minor in politics. Um, I played four years on the, on the baseball team, which was a great experience. And then for grad school, um, which rounded out, you know, it co- coincided with, uh, the end of my, well, while in grad school, I was also in the reserves. And then when I decided to stop going to grad school, that's also when I made the decision to leave, uh, the Marine Corps, uh, reserves primarily because, uh, my entrepreneurial journey, journey had started, um, but for grad school, I studied international law and social justice uh, and was working on a certificate in terrorism. Oh, that is so interesting, international law. So what I had expected um, was to uh, finish grad school, um, either continue in the, re- in, in the reserves um, and, and do a full 20, and then work uh, in the government somewhere, um, either FBI, CIA, uh, or I think the one I was most excited about was in the State Department. Right, and and so you you changed your mind and and did not pursue staying in the reserves then, even though you already had nine and a half years in the military then. So. A hard, you know, it was a hard decision. Um, you know, I did I did my first um, contract. And then uh, I stayed in in a, in a non-ob um, capacity, 
which meant, you know, I wasn't on contract, but I was still serving uh, in, in the reserves and could leave at any time. Um, I had expected to, to do the full 20, and I, and I really loved it. And, uh, you know, one of those reasons is that, you know, I, I deployed, um, been overseas quite a bit, um, sort of had my, you know, had enough of, of the military to be satisfied um, with, my, with my part. But there was constantly junior Marines rotating in, in and out of the, of the uh, company. And, you know, I felt a responsibility to, to train those junior Marines and creating, you know, great relationships with them. And really that was one of those motivating, motivating factors to, to stay in, probably more so than doing the 20 years. Yeah, that's really neat. It's probably very rewarding. So what did you do after uh, you left then the reserves? By now you had, had you finished grad school by then? A, a, a grad school dropout to the disappointment of, uh, of my graduate advisors. Um, so several things were sort of happening at one time. One of, those, one of the things with being a reservist is that you're sort of straddling the, the, the two lines of, of civilian life and military life. Um, I was uh, serving the reserves. Uh, our units were going through reshuffling. Uh, our headquarters had gotten shifted from Albany, New York, um, you know, in Fox 225, um, to somewhere in Connecticut, which made my commute, you know, double or triple of, of the time. Uh, I was trying to build a, a civilian career, uh, and at the time, I was uh, the I was I was working on uh, the veteran advocacy project. Uh, for the Urban Justice Center, which is a nonprofit law firm in New York. And I didn't necessarily want to go into law, but I wanted to get my toes in and see what it was like. So I was working on that project, which meant that I got to do a lot of advocacy for, for veterans, low-income veterans, uh, and, and a lot of it was uh, veterans that also had mental health uh, issues, uh, primarily working on eviction prevention, so keeping them in their homes, helping um you know, those that were late on their payments, uh, five ways to, to pay on that. Um, I was going to grad school, and I'd started my first company. So I was very aware that I was doing way too much, mm. and the small company that I had um, started to build, and in fact, I founded, uh, the company's called Majestic Apps, and that was uh, a predate elemental path. Uh, that company I had founded with a junior Marine in my unit um, who was uh, just a really, you know, he was a really sharp guy and, and, a, and a leader. So we were in Iraq, and when you're reserved, those uh, reservists in your unit who are finishing up boot camp or training school, they go to the reserve unit while the reserve unit is deployed, and they sort of create their own little community there and, while they're waiting for the, the unit to come back. When we got back, it was it was sort of clear that he was the one who and he's a lamp, you know either a PFC or Lance Corporal E two V three at that time, but had total control over all the other junior Marines. He, he took all the all those all the leadership there. Um, we built a friendship friendship, and he was a computer science um, student at Iona College, and technology is something I was always really interested in and wanted to learn more about and, and really be talking about. And we, we just started to sort of, uh, you know, I remember one time being in Africa together 
and we were sitting on post uh, in Mozambique and just talking about building uh, at that time mobile apps. And uh, it sort of just snowballed from there, and we, we started our own thing. And then once that started to really get some traction, I knew that I had to uh, on less things. And, you know, at that point, I actually made a huge life decision. Um, I gave my notice at the law, at the law firm. I told my um, graduate program that I wouldn't be coming back for my, for my last semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finished up my reserve service and to focus on building uh, my startup. So, Donald, uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll come back to that point you just shared. So, today's episode of Veterans Founder is brought to you by CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the job done. Find them at cpadudes.com com slash startup radio. Okay, we're listening today to Donald Coolidge, and Donald Coolidge is an ex-Marine, and he is the founder and CEO of Elemental Path. So, Donald, let's connect back to where you've uh, left your law firm, and you you were sharing that at that point you just uh, started this uh, new new um, business with your junior Marine um, officer that you had met in the military. Ready to pick up? Yes. Let's pick uh, up. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, you know, I, I built some small companies or started to build, you know, small businesses um, throughout my early teens, and, and, but ne- never anything really substantial. Um, with, uh, with this other co-founder, we started to build technology. And at, at this point in time, it was sort of the early iPhone days. Uh, I think we were looking at 2012. And we just started to build uh, mobile apps that we wanted to use or we needed to use in our personal life that didn't exist at the time. And so in my uh, actually East Harlem kitchen, uh, we were in our in our kitchen building out mobile apps and some other technologies, launching them to the app store, and really um, sort of just as kind of hobbyists um, building out technology. And it was it was a re- it was really amazing uh, experience to me because it was something I had no stinking idea what was going on, um, and I was learning in real time. So was he teaching you how to do how to code and all that? I am uh, what what we would call a no code CEO of a tech company. Okay. Um, he wasn't teaching me to code. Um, he was doing. He was primarily doing the heavy lifting on on the, on the engineering and coding, and I was primarily uh, driving the business elements of it, some of the social mm-hmm. media elements. And for the early applications that we built, we're trying. I was trying to figure out how to get users to use them, get their feedback, and then uh, implement that to make the products better, to grow, to grow them faster, and to make the tech better. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, um, through, through that and through all some of the other stuff I've done since then, um, I've become really technical proficient, and you know I I can architect and outline um, platforms 
Um, but I do not code. Not one line. But you're the visionary, and, and you're the one that uh, sells the business model. Correct? Uh, sometimes that's absolutely true. Um, I think, it, you know, it, that company that we had built um, for the next couple of years, uh, we, we grew. Um, and we grew and we changed and we morphed and it had a life of its own. And now that company now um, is probably 20, 25 uh, engineers on staff. Um, another partner who we, we uh, was a part of the team uh, runs that now. And that company is, is doing really fantastic. Now they focus on um, taking you know, either building technology products from scratch with entrepreneurs mm -hmm. or they'll go into a medium to larger size business and take a look at their more traditional business model, um, come up with five or six strategies um, to implement technology within the business to either save money, to innovate, um, to optimize their workforce, whatever it is, and present those to that company. And then that company will choose which one to integrate and they'll build it out. So that, And then that company is morphed into a pure... Uh, digital strategy company and and, uh, and technology development company. Mm. Uh, I'm still a partner. I'm still involved. In fact, I share half the, the floor that we have now. Um, but it's grown into its own organism. You know, it, it has uh, management in place and, and almost runs itself at times. So what? So what made you? Uh, why did you leave that? Did you leave to start a different company? What happened after that? I know you said you're still involved, but not. Uh, it doesn't appear like you're involved full time, right? So you, after that company, what did you do? Uh, involved in a in a way, and I'll give uh, the executive team um, advice and strategy, and, and once in a while go in and, and see the team and say hello. Um, but I let. And I guess I didn't really leave the company necessarily as much as was pulled away. Um, fast forward a couple of years as the company is growing, the team is growing, um, and then technology, as a, and let's just say technology as a whole, because tech can be so many different things. Um, there are a lot of really cool technologies coming out and becoming accessible and more uh, easily used and developed on. So um, let's just say this is... Uh, Later 2013, uh, a couple of the major trends um, that were out there were um, AI, uh, voice AI, um, think products like Siri, which had just been launched a, a few uh, years before. I think Siri came out in 2011. Uh, and IoT, the Internet of Things. Um, and so those were all sort of coming out, becoming really popular and really trendy and had potential to, to, you know, really create a major impact and change the way we, we live our lives now is through uh, technology. And as that is sort of happening, uh, myself and um, my co-founder here started to sort of percolate some ideas. Uh, what ended up happening based on some of the industry experience I had had from Majestic, um, some of the technology that we were privy to, uh, we had this concept of using, and let's use this term uh, relatively broad as well, artificial intelligence to power um, toys 
that could teach and entertain kids. Uh, initial concept is basically um, imagine using AI to answer you know those thousands and millions of kid questions that they're asking every day that parents get tired of, of answering or don't know the answers to. And so that was sort of this idea that was percolating. And what happened was um, IBM and their Watson technology just a few years before had beaten uh, Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy champion. Are you familiar with that at all? No, I'm not. And so Watson became this, it, Watson was this real, in, at least within the tech community, was this really amazing technology that had a ton of potential. Oh, you're talking and, about the IBM technology, our, our artificial intelligence? In Watson. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard of Watson, yes. But go ahead. Initially, the reason you probably heard was because of it beating Ken Jennings in Jeopardy. And it was, it was one of those moments within the you know, tech and the landscape that was like, wow, technology is really, really starting to advance quickly. Um, what happened was IBM announced that uh, in a few months, they would begin opening up Watson to partners so that partners could build products and technologies off of the Watson artificial intelligence. With that, we felt as if we could partner with IBM and they could provide the brains to our platform to power this, these smart toys that we're going to build for kids that could teach and entertain. Um, it would be the perfect partner, and that would be um, one of those sort of, uh, again, eureka moments that, hey, let's actually move this forward. And so we, uh, IBM announced a, a global hackathon and the, the winners would get access to Watson. And keep in mind, mm -hmm. um, at this point, no one had access to Watson. Mm. Um, and so we, we entered this hackathon along with, I think, about 1,000 or 1,200 other companies. Um, we, were, we pitched the idea, uh, presented it, uh, sort of sold the dream and sold the vision. And, mm. and granted, we, had, we, had no, we didn't even have a prototype or, prototype or a proof of concept. We were just pitching the concept and the vision. Um, we were chosen as one of the 25 semifinalists. Wow. Uh, we then got invited to the second round where we had to build a proof of, uh, proof of concept prototype off of, the, off of Watson. We did that. And then we were invited into the finals and ultimately to make a, what was a really long story and was probably a three or four month process, we, were, uh, we, we won that competition and we're, you know, officially partnered with IBM to use their Watson technology and to work together um, on that concept that we had pitched. And wow. it was at that moment that we sort of said, okay, you know, again, we can't do multiple things. If we're going to do this, we have to really do this. And it was at that moment that we started Elemental Path. It became official. Um, and I lessened my everyday duties at Majestic um, to focus on building out uh, this platform and this company. Wow, that, congratulations on winning that competition. It, it just sounds like you were at the right place at the right time. I mean, just finding out about those opportunities is sometimes kind of difficult. But uh, what was your prototype that you built for them, for the contest, the um, final? So the prototype was a... So it was a talking toy, and it was the most ragtag prototype you could ever think about. 
So previously, I had built out um, a toy that had an app companion with it for a toy company. And so basically, this toy, com- this toy was available in retail stores, and um, myself and the company was uh, in charge of building out the, the, the app companion for it, the mobile application for it. It wasn't uh, like a hugely innovative product. It was uh, largely um, pairing an app with it to play games that had that character in it. But it gave me some insight into the toy industry, into, con- into consumers, purchasing habits, retailers. And what we did is we took one of those toys that we had on shelf and sort of like, on, it was on our award shelf because it was a physical product and we weren't building many physical products. We took that uh, small stuffed animal. It was, it was just, it was, and it was really tiny. We put a Bluetooth speaker in it. So basically just cut a hole in it, mm-hmm. shoved this Bluetooth speaker into the, the uh, stuffing inside that stuffed animal and then connected that with an app uh, that had a little chat bot in it um, using some of the lots of technology. And when you would um, uh, at, you would press the button on the app, you'd say something, maybe you could ask a question. Um, then the toy via the Bluetooth speaker would sound like it was talking um, and giving you the answer to that question because of that Bluetooth speaker. Oh, that's so cool. So how, what made you focus on toys? That's uh, sort of interesting. It is interesting, uh, and it's not necessarily a simple answer. I had experience in the toy industry through some of the stuff I was building for toy companies, technology I was building for them. So I got a little bit of a sense of how they thought, and I wasn't very excited. So, so technology was sort of growing everywhere, um, and all these cool new technologies were rolling out, and Play and learning were two of the really areas where there's little to no innovation happening. So it was sort of like a need in the industry, and it became apparent that a lot of these toy companies were, in a, in a sense, scared of technology, didn't understand it, didn't know how to implement it, um, didn't know how to use it. And it's not, it's not cheap to build tech, especially uh, deep technology or really um, advanced technology, so it also has a financial hurdle there. So we were excited about the ability to integrate voice and personality um, and knowledge into these toys to bring them to life, to make them more fun to play with, to make them educational, to remove a, uh, sort of the problem of too many screens in a kid's life, mm-hmm. and, then, and then combine that with this learning aspect so that when you're interacting with it, it's seamless, it's fun, it's friendly but it's always providing educational uh, content and information and could, you know, what we really thought was the, the sort of killer feature here that has the ability to learn and grow with the kid. Wow. And so we saw, we saw one that it's sort of a toy that it's sort of the type of toy that we wanted as kids that we wanted to interact with. Um, and the marketplace was just lacking innovation as well. So it was sort of that perfect culmination, perfect storm to do it then and then right there. Wow. So here you've won that contest. You were the finalist. So what happened is, and that made you a partner uh, with IBM. Uh, So what happened after that? So what happened is really the next four years of my life. Um, And the the four year, three and a half, four years of Elemental Path. We started to build out the product, so we, you know, 
we're, we were building a, a tech company and a technology and product. And so we started to um, build it out more, take it from a proof of concept to something we could actually launch to market. Um, we were raising investor money, which was super important to actually develop the technology um, and worked on building the first product that we would ever launch. So if you fast forward about a year and a half, we ended up launching um, the Cognitoys Dyno. So Cognitoys is the line of, of basically are all the toys that we've, that we've ever built and the future toys that we'll build as well. Uh, Cognitoys um, really stands for cognitive toys. Um, and they're all voice enabled with our technology. They all learn and grow, uh, educational content, fun and friendly, blah, blah, blah. Um, that next real big you know, benchmark in the, in the growth of the company um, was the launch of that first product, which was the Cognitoys Dyno. Now, it took, a, it took over a year to build out the initial technology um, to, to build out the actual toy electronics, the look and feel, um, get kids actually interacting with it in, in beta to uh, you know, make it so that it was actually a viable product. And we launched a Kickstarter campaign in, I believe it was March of 2015. And we, were, we went to Kickstarter um, really because Kickstarter is such a great community of early adopters and has more technical savvy people. And we wanted to validate our idea further prior to launching the product to market. And that ultimately was a very successful campaign for us. Awesome. So, so that toy is out there in the market right now, right? Um, that campaign, we raised something like eight times our initial goal. It was an amazing campaign. Um, again, a lot of the campaign was, was pitching the concept and the vision. We had working prototypes for this that were much more advanced than what we you know, built with the IBM as a partner. Um, we, and we rolled it out. Um, that toy is still on shelves. Um, although it's an older generation of the, of the, of the products we've launched now. Um, and it shipped to something like 120 countries. Uh, it was a Time Magazine Best Invention of the Year. Uh, it, it was named Best Use of AI in Education. Uh, it was really an, an amazing rollout. Uh, we sort of hit our stride at that point. Wow, that's awesome. And, and so what's you're still building uh, toys for under the Cogna toy then? We are. We actually have some big. So um, that product, I think there's something like forty thousand of those products out there being used by kids um, every day. Millions of interactions. Um, you know, and we we learned a ton. So the first that first product that we launched, uh, we we faced some pretty major challenges in the market. It's not an easy technology to build. Uh, it's even harder when you talk about kids. Um, there, there are a number of issues and hurdles that we had, you know, we had to find out in real time and then overcome. Um, so, you know, day one when we launched, you know, great reception uh, and kids started to use it. And we started to recognize um, specific things on how kids interact with toys and how they speak, the types of questions they ask, the different topical areas that they explore, the things that are important to them um, about both the the toy and the interaction that's created. And so from that moment that those first units got delivered, it was a constant everyday learning process where we're, where we're optimizing the technology to perform better, building new technology to support it better, 
and thinking about ways to integrate that into future products or you know more advanced products. Um, we launched a second product, which was really a Dyno 1.5. Uh, we call that product the Stemosaur. And so Stemosaur, and this launched last year, um, has three, uh, the, the tagline, code constructs play, or construct code play. So kids get the dinosaur, the Stemosaur, they put it together, it has something like um, 14 pieces or something like that. It takes usually about 10 minutes to put it together, and kids get to learn about um, both the technology and the engineering element of STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. So kids get to learn about how the electronics come together, they get to plug in their own, their own wires, screw in the screws, and then when they're done that, they have a fully functioning stem store that they can talk to, talk with, and all the great features of, of Cognitoys. We then built out a coding panel, which um, is, neat, is really an easy to use web panel, that allows kids to create new conversational experiences and add that to their stenosaur. So wow. if a kid has a favorite book or a game or wants to create a story, they can do that in the coding panel, program their own dyno on top of all the other features it already has, and have this custom content just for them. Wow, Donald, that's amazing. I need to check it out because I've got grandkids that I could buy that for. Donald, I'm going to take another quick break, and we'll just continue. Um, so today's episode of Veterans... Um, Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize offers your company dedicated account management to develop your insight into the world of PR and communication strategy, providing all the support you need. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. Okay, we are we're talking to Donald Coolidge. Donald, you you've done a lot of things, and it's just amazing um, to hear about this latest technology. How you've used it with uh, for children, and you know when you were relating what was going on, how you were perfecting this Dino product. It almost seems like you must have taken on like the role of a child psychologist to you know to observe how they use it and how you can make it better so that's quite amazing and then how does that fit in into elemental path because because it seems like you have several lines of business it, it, does the toy company fall under elemental path or is that a separate company at ourselves as a toy company. Um, we really look at ourselves as a, as a technology company. We're really looking at ways to drive uh, innovation um, in sort of that voice AI space, that, that voice-enabled product space, primarily for kids. So Elemental Path is, is the company that we're all under. Cognitive Toys is the line of voice-enabled toys. And then in the future, and we're working on some stuff now, we'll take this voice technology and implement it into other things or other products, allow other people to build their own products off of that. And those won't be Cognitoys, those will be whatever that company's brand or products are. So Cognitoys is the internal line of products that we're building, smart toys, talking toys, and then other people will invite to create their own things. Because there's no real way for us to, to own that, all that innovation or have all the or maybe not even the best ideas. We want to really allow other people to come on and take their expertise and build products with our technology 
uh, in that space. I see. And so what is the latest product that you have on your elemental path? We have our, we have what we think is everything the future of the cognitory should be. So we, we've been used by so many kids. They've had so many interactions and we're constantly updating the software and, and the content. However, you can't really change the hardware or the look and feel of the product. Um, we're actually launching this product in about a month from now, and I, and I can't announce it yet, mm-hmm. but I can talk about it. So we're taking all of those great things about our technology and that we've learned over the last three years and then updating the device and hardware and creating a, a new Cognitoy. Uh, that Cognitoy has, uh, it, maybe it's a, a step towards a more smart, personalized, and educational robot for kids, as opposed to a dinosaur. Um, the dinosaur uh, really acted as a, a pathway for the voice. So the device has some LEDs, has a push-to-talk button, um, but isn't really uh, a complicated dev- device. Um, the new product we're launching um, has rechargeable batteries, an accelerometer, touch sensors, smart LEDs, and more fully integrates that voice experience that we've built and tweaked and tuned just for kids, integrated into the actual device and to make it come to life more. And so that's where we see the future of what we're doing um, in addition to just the technology, it's that integration of both the device that you use and, and that software. Um, you know, this, these smart toys and, and companion toys if they don't do anything on the device but talk, then they don't provide a great amount of value. So we're taking that our, our software, combining it with this integrated hardware to build out that sort of more robust whole experience. And where imagine if a if a kid asks a question like, "What colors make up the rainbow?" and it, it can tell them, but can also show them the, those colors on the device, maybe on its belly or on other areas. There's LEDs. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, you know, um, in talking to you, it seems like your journey has been like, you know, pretty smooth, but typically that's not the case. Uh, What kind of challenges have you run into, um, you know, while stepping out, taking these risks, you know, to do these businesses? My journey has been absolutely nothing but not so. Um, and, you know, and I think that's true for most people. Um, right. You know, you have sort of your external, your external voice and things like that, and then you're dealing with your challenges in real time. Um, whether, you're, you know, like in early on in the military, my, my, biggest challenges were how to deal with deployments um, while going to college and trying to figure out how to maintain relationships. So every time I'd go back to school for a year, I'd then deploy for a year and go back to school for a year. And those, those sort of friends and the baseball team and other things would, would keep going. Um, and it was sort of just trying to figure out how, how to manage that. And it wasn't smooth um, or easy. Um, but you know, you, you figure out how to, how to deal with it. Um, in starting these companies, 
you know, both times I, I, went, I stepped out into areas that I was completely uncomfortable with and completely underqualified um, to be involved with. And it was, you know, it was a learning process of figuring out how all these things work and what are the best practices and, and what are the steps uh, needed to take to get there. Um, even with Elemental Path, we've built, you know, really some really amazing things and have created some really amazing experiences that we're really proud of. And along the way, we've had these really amazing checkpoints where we're able to point to something and say, like, this was absolutely a success and, um, you know, we're proud of it. But leading up to it, it's sleepless nights. It's trying to get the technology to work. It's trying to figure out and fix problems. It's finding out ways to uh, fund the company or to, to find the capital um, to help the company grow when you know you, you're not going to be profitable for four or five years. Um, each of those had you know, their own unique moments, and we've been able to uh, get over a lot of those hurdles, but oftentimes you know, it's a big challenge. Um, even now leading up to our next rollout, which to me is the most exciting product we've ever built by far, it's the biggest checkpoint in the company's uh, history and the product is, you know, I'm biased, obviously awesome. There are still things that are going to be major hurdles for the campaign. Um, you know, still technology that we have to build out to finish the, pro to the product. And the biggest challenge I'm facing right now on it is that I have to launch this campaign uh, within a month. And I'd love to have two or three more months to plan for it and to put, this, you know, you know, refine the strategy more before we roll it out. But I can't do that, and we don't have the time for that. So it's then going back to the whiteboard and the chalkboard and figuring out, you know, how to address that and how to put the best plan into place under the current circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And you know what I like uh, that you just mentioned was that you were uncomfortable and unqualified. But what put you over is you were willing to take that risk and learn through the process. That's really key, I think, in success because we're never going to get to a comfortable place and we're never truly are qualified. But what determines your success is your drive and your willingness to do everything you can to learn. And that's, uh, I think those are good points that our audience can take away from, um, um, because, you know, a lot of times people are not willing to take risks because of those factors. You feel like, oh, you can't do it. You're not qualified. So I just wanted to reiterate that for our audience. Um, there's one question I had because I did go to your website. Side, and I did see um, this other new other technology that you're offering there. And did you? Uh, we have about um, eight more minutes. Can you um, talk a little bit about that? Um, it's the one for businesses. Um, the well, the product is called Bryn. So we we try to keep some of this stuff under wraps a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier that Elemental Path will be opening up our technology for other companies and businesses um, to create their own voice-enabled products and devices. Brin is our first is the first um, partner to use our technology outside of Elemental Path. Uh, it's not our product. Um, I see. But but it leverages parts of our of our technology, 
And, and Brin's a really cool product. So Brin is a, a mobile app um, that uses um, AI and conversational elements um, to create the Brin personality around um, small business information education. Uh, the, the founder of Brin um, is an, sort of an expert and influencer on how to grow and scale small businesses and wanted to find a way to um, scale all that knowledge and uh, insight. And of course, he'd explain this better than I would. Uh, and one of the ways he's doing that is he built Brin, which allows people to download it and interact with Brin, which is, think of Brin like a Siri. And then, but Brin uh, is able to give all this great informational, all this great information, uh, knowledge, and resources on problems small business owners uh, have um, growing that business. Oh, and that's so that's not so. That's very much on the elemental path side, and not necessarily on the cognitive side. Um, but Bryn was a really cool product built part, partly off our our tech, um, but not completely. And then in the future, in the next like six or nine months, you'll see other companies getting added to that list on there who are using our technology to build out voice first products. I guess would be the best way to say it. I see. So so then your main product would be the Cognant toy then. And actually, your technology would be a product too, right? Would you say that? Correct. So I see the core of everything we do as the technology. So the technology empowers these experiences. Um, and that technology allows us to constantly update, learn and grow, um, add new features, and, and do more intelligent things that technology should start to bring other products to life in other industries and areas. So I absolutely do, and that's why I say we're a tech company, not a toy company. The toys that we build, and they'll start to become more advanced and maybe looked at more as robots, um, use that technology to, to really to come to life. And so Elemental Path, that conversational technology and artificial intelligence, Cognitoy is a line of smart toys and smart devices for kids. Mm, okay. So um, now, do you sell the technology or is that like, you know, open source code where people can just, anybody can use it? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. Um, great question. Something that we are still discussing internally. We do not open source it and we do not allow anyone to build off of it because we really want to make sure that the things that are built off of it are things that align with our mission and, and you know, what made us get interested in building this out. Where I think you see how brain sort of aligns with cognitories in many ways. Um, it's providing real life value. Um, it has these educational aspects to it. Uh, it has personality. Um, even the other partner projects we're working on, they all integrate components of that. Um, I don't know if we'll ever fully open source it because of that. And a lot of the things that we do under the hood for the technology, um, make sure that the technology is things like, um, and positive. How people, how people work with us, we have a couple different, uh, sort of options with, with partners. We don't have a set price or a, a set fee. But we really have two models on that. So the, the one is a software license that's a monthly fee um, to integrate it. And the other one is um, a consumption model where people integrate it 
And then the charge is based on total number of interactions with the technology over that month. Oh, wow. So where can people find you? Uh, we're, we're about to close our show today. Uh, give them your uh, website and how they can locate you. Yeah, uh, www.elementalpath.com is the company website. And www.cardinitoys.com. Uh, is the website for the uh, um, toys and devices we're launching, and then I, I'm I'm pretty active on, on LinkedIn as well, and anyone can uh, you know always reach out to me there. I do want to make one final note as well. Um, I'm I'm still very active uh, within the the community um, here in New York with, with veterans, so I, I help um, run the New York City chapter of Vets in Tech. Um, Vets in Tech has three pillars: education, entrepreneurship. And employment, and we work with great partners. I believe there's uh, 12 chapters around the country. Um, I help head the New York City chapter, and we do we do uh, events every month around those three uh, pillars. And um, I highly uh, urge anyone interested in getting into technology and startups, um, if they're in uh, one of those cities that has a that's in chapter that's in tech chapter. Um, to become active and participate. Uh, there's a number of great resources there. And where, uh, what is that link, Donald? That's, that that's is, awesome information. Yep, that's uh, www.vetsintech.com. Okay. And uh, there's an, an active Twitter for that as well. And uh, a simple, you know, a simple Google um, will turn that up. But yeah, that's a, that was a huge resource to me, actually, in getting started um, in the active now. Oh, that's great. Well, Donald, I want to thank you um, for being on our show today. Uh, there's a lot of takeaways from today's uh, show, and and uh, we, we just wish you the very best with your company. And I'm sure there's a lot of people going to be checking out uh, not only your website, but this other Bets in Tech site that you just shared. And, and really, thank you for what you're doing for the Vets in Tech. That's awesome. Uh, so today, you've been listening to Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Listen, learn, and get inspired. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.